Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Snap Out of It Radio Network. Hear all our great shows across the world. Join our community at snapoutofitradionetwork.com. So wake up, stand up, and snap out of it. Empowered Love with author, self-mastery coach, and relationship expert, Melanie Tanya Evans. Take back your power, heal your soul, and set yourself free. Free through Empowered Love. And now your host of Empowered Love, Melanie Tanya Evans. Hi everyone, this is Mel and welcome to another Empowered Love Radio Show. Now, these are always pretty much my favorite shows in so many ways. I love the manifesting shows and the law of attraction and just the, you know, the growth that the community is going into at the moment. But I love these shows and the reason I love the Thriver shows is because this is where it all comes together. This is where we get to share in the stories of the people that have liberating and are liberating themselves from narcissistic abuse and creating their new life, which is what this community is called. It's new life. It's so much more than just surviving. This is about thriving. So the story that I'm going to be sharing with you today is a really, really special show because it's about a lady that was married for more than, or was with a narcissist for more than 30 years. Now, she didn't initially get out of the relationship. She was still in the relationship while she was working with NARP in order to emotionally get strong enough and recover enough to walk away and finally honor herself. And I know a lot of people do ask in the community, can I do NARP while I'm still in the relationship? The answer to that is absolutely, and you're going to learn about that because there may be many, many reasons. It might be financial, it might be... But as we all know, it's always emotional. When you're hooked and you're feeling powerless and you don't emotionally feel strong enough to be able to face to do what you know you need to do, you can most definitely be working on yourself and shifting at a subconscious level so that you can get to a point where you honor yourself. And that's what this show is all about. I think a lot of people will be able to relate and find it very, very inspirational as to what you can do no matter how painful or long the relationship has been going on for. So I want to introduce you to Kayla. So Kayla, thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thank you, Melanie, for inviting me. It's a pleasure. It totally is. So Kayla, we're going to launch into your story because it's quite an amazing one, as they all are. But please, if you could share your story with the listeners. Okay. Well, Melanie, when you first asked me to be on your show, I wondered how could I possibly condense my life story into something short as I've had so many experiences that demonstrates the crazy life of living with someone who's narcissistic. So I decided to just start talking and see what manifests. So I am excited to share my story of hope and one of empowerment after living a 33-year marriage with a narcissist. I want others to know it is possible to find strength and self-worth while in the midst of a relationship that is harmful and damaging. I am proof that the Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Program can help a person find the strength within to change their life in a positive, wonderful way. So my story actually began when I was 13 months old. This was the month my mom was granted a divorce from our father. She told him she never wanted to see him again in our lives. This was in the 1960s when divorce was rare, and I grew up believing there was something wrong with my family, as we were the only children in our school who were being raised by a single mother. I resented being singled out when other girls brought their fathers to the school. When I was seven years old, my self-esteem plummeted when I came to the conclusion that I'd been abandoned by my father. So I decided that when I got married, I was not going to let my children go through this stigma. So I'll fast forward to me being 19 years old. 
I returned home for the summer from university and I was looking to have fun. I met a new guy at a dance through a mutual friend. He was so different from any other guys I knew. He was two years older than I was and he seemed to have his life and future mapped out. He showed me his impressive 4x4 pickup. He told me about the logging truck he owned as well as the 160 acres where he was going to build a house. He was tall, dark, and handsome. He didn't smoke cigarettes as all my other boyfriends had, and I was hooked right from the start. He asked me on a date for the following weekend, and I jumped at it. We met at a local restaurant where he told me I was the cutest, happiest girl he knew, and he went on to explain how he'd broken up during the week with his last girlfriend because he was so drawn to me. I felt flattered and important. I wanted to spend all my time with him. He craved to be with me too and made a big issue of taking me to spend the weekend at his parents' house after only knowing me for three weeks. We spent hours talking and many red flags were raised, but I was too naive to notice. He told me he came from a dysfunctional split family. He talked of how none of his siblings got along because his parents differentiated between my kids, your kids, and our kids. He sounded really resentful when he talked how his parents refused to blend all the kids into one family. He shared about his older brothers hating him, and he would describe the torture they would inflict, including one brother shooting him with a twenty-two rifle through the arm when he was about 12. He spoke loyally of his dad, but he sounded so disgusted when he talked of his mom by emphasizing the word mother and never calling her mom. He always spoke of what a nasty, greedy person she was. He talked of having to sleep outside in the doghouse when his dad was away from home. I felt sorry for him and the childhood he'd had. So after dating for one month, he asked me to marry him. By that time, I believed in love at first sight and said yes. So four months after meeting, we were married. What I didn't realize at the time was this is how quickly a narcissist attaches to a partner. My university schooling was abandoned because I was in love. We spent hours talking about our future and I was sure we had covered all the bases. We agreed that divorce was not an option as we'd both grown up in broken families and didn't want to inflict that pain on our children. I was determined I was going to live my perfect dream at all costs, not realizing how deeply this promise to myself was going to root. I told myself that God had brought my husband to me and that to stay true to my religious beliefs, I had to stay with him till death do us part. The first year of our marriage, I was blind to many things. I ignored how dilapidated our old house trailer was. I overlooked the point my in-laws lived next door and the fact my husband brought his paycheck home and gave it to his mother. I questioned his reasoning as to why I had to get grocery money from her, but my husband discounted my complaint, saying that's the way his family operated and I needed to accept it. Mm, and it's amazing, isn't it? When we're stuck in fairy tale beliefs, we don't understand love bombing. It's so important to know that it's not healthy for relationships to go that fast, that quickly, before laying foundations and getting to know somebody. It's not realistic and it's not mature love, but we didn't know. So, Kayla, when did the obvious bad behaviour start? Well, by the time I'd been married two years, we moved up a steep hill to a tiny little house on the 160 acres. In the winter, my husband's job took him away for weeks at a time, so I became dependent on my in-laws to drive me around because my car couldn't make it up the incline. I was totally isolated in a home with no running water. My source of water was six kilometers away at my in-laws. I would melt snow if I ran out of water. So this was the beginning of the crazy making. My husband fought with my brother to keep him away from me. He would criticize my family to the point I would believe his version as he would repeat it over and over. I became isolated from my family but depended on his. He pushed all my friends away by condemning them to their face yet with a plausible excuse to me. 
He always told me we were broke, although he had his own logging truck and cows on the farm. Most of the time, I barely had enough money to buy groceries. One time, he refused to replace the worn-out brakes on my car. He told me to drive it because he couldn't afford to fix it, and, of course, I complied. Another time, I was driving to town when the engine started smoking. I was visiting with my mom, and she insisted I phone my husband. I was scared to call him because I knew he would get mad, but I called him anyway. When he arrived to help me, I could see a cold, angry look in his eyes. He asked me to follow him while he drove to the auto wreckers. I thought he was going to buy some used parts to fix it, but instead he sold it to them for $50, saying, There, I fixed it. It's theirs now, not yours. I was completely stranded then without a vehicle. Then the fighting between my husband and the neighbors started. The fault, according to my husband, was always the other person. Yet the police would show up at our doors multiple times with legal papers, telling him to show up in court for something that he was accused of. The fighting escalated with objects of ours getting destroyed while we were away and we had pets injured. I became terrified that our children would become a target, so after being married to him for six years, I found the courage to leave and move to town. I swallowed my pride and went to the social service office as I had no money. They helped me with rent and money for groceries. I knew I'd have to get a job as I didn't want to rely on social assistance. I enrolled in a course entitled Women in Non-Traditional Trades where I learned tra- I was trained in welding and plumbing and electrical. As well, they gave us a course on assertiveness training. So this helped enormously with my self-worth, which was very low. So I began to flourish. Yeah, but it didn't end there, did it? Because I know your story and uh, like so many of us, you did take him back. So what happened next? Well, within four months, my husband followed me to town, seemingly sincere when he asked if he could move back in with me. To me, it was a chance to start over, so I relented. Uh, We went on to buy a little fixer-upper house on five acres. He seemed happy while we worked on the renovations, and I thought, finally, we're on our way to mutual happiness. I got a job in the forest industry, and my income was high enough I could enroll our kids in sports and music. I was so proud when I watched them perform, yet my husband would get annoyed and when I would insist that he go watch them at their competitions, he would be irritated with me and then critical with them afterwards. I noticed he was getting increasingly bad-tempered with them, so I was always trying to smooth things over, constantly reminding my kids to be extra good so he wouldn't get mad. If he was annoyed, I would tell the kids to stay away from him. It seemed like none of us could keep him happy for long before he would explode in a tyrant, criticizing what we were doing or blaming us if things went wrong. So after a few years, he decided he wasn't happy with only having five acres. He told me it was too boring because there wasn't enough for him to do. I explained repeatedly that I was happy where we lived. I liked the neighborhood and I'd made close friends, but he disregarded what I said. He started telling me that it was my fault that we'd moved to town and my fault we weren't living someplace where he'd be happy. started threatening me then that he would move us to a different province, which I live in Canada, so it's it's, uh, would be moving us to a different part of Canada, away from all my friends, my family, and familiar places. He then came up with a new idea. If I could talk my mom into letting us build a house on her ranch property, he wouldn't make us move away. I was adamantly against the idea of moving out to my family's ranch because it was an hour's drive to town plus another 30 minutes to my job site. There was no phone service there and my family had long since left to move to town. The nearest neighbor was five kilometers away. I remembered how he had isolated me the last time we lived out of town. However, he kept threatening me with abandonment if I didn't comply with asking my mom if we could build a house there. 
Because of my need to keep my family intact, I grudgingly agreed, although I hoped she would refuse, but no, she said yes. I told him that if he really wanted to move us there, he had to build a house of my design, <laughs> the one little piece that uh, I thought I could put in something that I wanted. So we sold our small, our small house for enough profit that we could build my dream home. We constructed a beautiful house on a small rise overlooking the fields and mountains. The only thing wrong with the view was that we could see my mom's vacant house trailer and the barn that needed a new roof. My husband came up with a plan. He needed to erase evidence that my family had once lived there. One day when I was away at work, he contacted someone he knew who was interested in my mom's trailer. Without asking my mom or telling me, he had the, the trailer hauled away for free. I came home from work and it had disappeared. Whatever my mom still had stored inside was gone. My husband was elated. I had the unfortunate job of letting her know her trailer had vanished. She was devastated as there were mementos inside which she hadn't moved to town. My husband justified it to me by saying it was ugly and in the way. The next thing on his agenda was to get rid of the log barn. One afternoon, he got some matches and burned it down. And again, I had to sugarcoat my husband's actions. I felt I couldn't speak against him because he would get so furious at me and I completely feared his anger. Then his superiority began to kick in as he got compliments on how we were improving the look of the farm. He would gloat on how our place was nicer than anyone else's in the community, and he would brag that the neighbors were jealous. He started buying bigger and better equipment and more property without listening to my concerns about paying for it. It became my job to make sure the money was there for the payments. Then he would blame me and get mad if I insisted we didn't have the money to buy the things he wanted. Then I accepted I must be the problem because I did the bookkeeping. That is so indicative of ego and narcissism and entitlement and the need to show off. It's just such a narcissistic tactic that never satisfied with what they have, always chasing more and more and more. And that's the ego. It's never satisfied. It's a bottomless pit. That's just so indicative. So... Kayla, what was his relationship like with the children? Well, during this time, his relationship with our teenage children, it was horrible. He would threaten them with force, forcefulness if they didn't do things exactly how he wanted, yet he refused to teach them to do it his way. Nevertheless, they tried to please him, though they seldom could succeed. He would criticize most things they did. He refused to use praise. He never told them thank you or please or you did a great job. He put them down personally and constantly implied their schoolwork was terrible. He explained to me this was the way to raise kids. He always stated that I wasn't parenting properly when the kids and I would laugh and have fun. I would catch myself doubting my ability to be a good mom. Our daughter became depressed when she was 15 after she had a confrontation with her dad and was hospitalized for two months in a hospital two and a half hours away from our home. She had no self-esteem left. I took a leave of absence from my job and went to visit her every day. Her dad only went one time and that was because I insisted he go. I felt numb knowing I should leave my husband yet I didn't know how I could while I was dealing with her illness. He was constantly badgering me about her faults, telling me what she did wrong. I would take her side, but he ignored me. He refused to take any responsibility for the fact his actions were instrumental in her feelings of low self-worth. He blamed me and her social life for her problems. With our son, who was always trying to please his dad, he was even worse in his blame and accusations. Our son would eat food to hide his emotions. His dad bossed him around and continuously criticized him. I would stand up for our son, pointing out his good points, but my husband would degrade me with his comments, and then I would get the silent treatment for days. 
Yeah, that's awful, isn't it? When it's playing out like that on the children and that's what narcissists are like. They've got incredibly high expectations and it's all about that's my way or it's just total abandonment and neglect or it's all of those things thrown in. So you you tried many times to try and fix it and make him happier and make him more agreeable at home. So can you explain the things that you tried to do? Well, I would cook his favorite desserts and his favorite meals, or I'd go down and clean up his shop trying to please him. I always thought I must be the problem because I couldn't figure out what would make him stop being so angry. So then I thought if I lost weight, he would be happy. I worked really hard, and I lost 50 pounds. I felt thin for the first time in my life. I was constantly getting noticed and complimented, flattered by other men. I bought new clothes and looked great, but my husband would never tell me I looked pretty. Instead, he would tell me I was too skinny and needed to gain weight. He said he hated touching me when he could feel my bones. I was crushed as I was desperately wanting him to tell me I was the most beautiful woman in his eyes. He absolutely refused to compliment me. When I would ask him if he thought I looked nice, he would always answer with, I wouldn't be with you if I thought you were ugly. Yeah, that would have been absolutely awful. It's really important to people that are listening to this show that don't take that as the absolute trademark of a narcissist because altruistic narcissists will absolutely flatter you with compliments. That's what altruistic narcissists do. So, But yes, definitely, Kayla, your version of the narcissist there was the one that was constantly putting you down. Altruistic narcissists do that as well, but they can also compliment heavily as well as then rip you down in other areas of your life. Absolutely. So, so the poor behavior, his poor be- behavior which we'd expect to happen with all of this sort of behaviour, continued after your children left home. So can you elaborate on that, Kayla? Sure. Um, After our children left home, he needed to change his tactics as he was no longer getting constant narcissistic supply. He started pushing boundaries with the neighbours, both positive and negatively, He would become friendly with some for a while, going out of his way to do nice things for them. But when they said something he didn't agree with or he perceived they were criticizing him, he would act wounded and become manipulative to get back at them. This might mean taking down a wire on a neighbor's fence to let our cows through or taking an extra bale of hay that he hadn't bought because he thought that they wouldn't notice. He would laugh and brag to me behind their backs because he felt he had pulled the wool over their eyes. He would often justify it to me by saying they are jealous of us and they want us to fail. I need to take from them before they take from us. So his feelings of of insecurity about the neighbors became an obsession. He was certain they were purposely plotting to steal our cows and our land. He could make his argument sound realistic to me. However, it did come to a climax when the bull's neighbor got in with our purebred cows. He called the neighbor who refused to haul his bull away. So he informed me that the neighbor was sabotaging our livelihood and he couldn't let him get away with it. So my husband angrily called the police and blatantly told them he was going to shoot the bull, which he did. Then one week later, I came home from work to find a police car parked at the end of my driveway with police cars surrounding my house. My husband was out haying and he was unaware of what was happening. My car was immediately encircled by police cars. I could see officers with rifles walking through the trees and coming out of all the outbuildings. And I could see police officers walking inside my house. Each one was carrying a rifle and wore a bulletproof vest. I was terrified I was going to witness a shootout with my husband if he drove down the driveway. At one point, I watched a police officer aim a gun at my son when he drove his car up to the driveway. I was petrified. When they made him leave, I was totally alone to face the ordeal. Two officers escorted me into the house to watch while they rummaged through my dresser drawers. 
All our guns were lying on the floor, which I had to step over to get to the bedroom. Before they left, they presented me with a search warrant to seize all our guns. I felt absolutely desecrated by the people who I thought were supposed to protect me. Well, after the police left, my husband came home. He tried to, or I tried to describe to him how terrified and furious I was by the violation, but he totally ignored me. He told me not to worry about it. The raid was not important. Then he forbid me to talk about it. He repeated to me that it was his right to shoot the bull because it was on our property. He kept telling me he did nothing wrong. And he wasn't upset with what I had suffered, but he was mad that his guns were gone. My feelings were not acknowledged, not at all, and I went on to suffer from a doctor-diagnosed post-traumatic stress. And today I still can't see a police car without starting to shake. I was summoned to the ensuing court case with my name being listed as an offender due to some of the guns being registered in my name. The police wanted to ensure my husband not have access to firearms as this was the third weapon infraction he'd had during our married life. They knew they had to ban me from owning guns in order to keep him away from them. And I was mortified as I'd had an impeccable record and I was always law-abiding. So now I have a ban on owning firearms and my husband got off with a slap on the wrist in the form of a, a monetary fine. Um, my husband was ecstatic, actually, because he thought he had the upper hand over the judicial system and the neighbor. And he was also happy that I was now equal to him with a criminal record, even though I had not been involved at all. I felt defeated. My good name was tarnished, and the friends I'd made over the last several years abandoned me because they didn't trust my husband, and I truly felt alone. Derogatory words were written on signs leading to our ranch. I couldn't hold my head up when I went to town. I looked downward, fully ashamed of myself because I kept standing by a man who had no respect for others or for me, and I felt like a failure. My feelings for staying as a family seemed to override all my common sense. I began to binge on food and drink alcohol to numb my mind. I recognized I needed to do something to get myself out of the slump I was in, so I decided to work on my long-abandoned university degree. I was elated when I got all A's for my grades, even though my life was a mess. Then my son got very sick from a leg infection and was hospitalized for a month with the threat of losing his leg or losing his life. I spent hours by his bedside studying while he was sleeping. His dad refused to go see him with the excuse he was too busy. And then he boldly stated that it was my son's fault he got an infection because he didn't look after himself properly. My son was hospitalized three more times in the next year. I became despondent with worry about my son my studies, and my increasing anger towards my husband, as well as the effects of the post-traumatic stress. I felt myself emotionally spiraling downwards into a depression. I started drinking and eating more, and I developed the occasional bulimic episode where I would purge all the food I consumed. Even though I purged, I began to gain weight, which increased my self-loathing. Yeah, that certainly is describing a spiral downwards, Kayla. I think anybody listening to your story can really really see how that's setting in at this point so then there came that turning point that time when you finally realized he was a narcissist how did this come about after all these years well before I had a chance to emotionally recover our son was involved in a vehicle accident where another person was responsible for driving their car into our son's logging truck Instead of going to our son's defense, though, my husband immediately blamed our son for the crash, yelling and screaming at him without asking for the particulars. And that ended up being the catalyst I needed to begin my search for answers to my husband's behavior. I googled fathers who intentionally hurt their children. I was shocked 
when I read about narcissistic fathers because my husband fit the criteria. I started researching and reading everything I could about narcissists. I was stunned, actually, when I read about trauma bonding and Stockholm Syndrome because I could identify through experiences with them. I read all Sam Backman's articles about being a narcissist, and I truly knew my husband was identical. So through my investigation, Melanie, I was led to your website, and I felt immense relief. I devoured all your articles. Every morning and every evening, I would download one of the radio programs on healing from narcissistic abuse. I would listen while I was driving the three hours to and from work. I began to recognize how importantly I needed to work on myself as I had unhealed parts that allowed me to stay attached to my husband even though I logically knew I had to leave. I joined the Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Group on Facebook and started reading the posts by other members. I read about the benefits of Quantum Freedom Healing and read that you had recorded an on-air version of the healing. I immediately searched for it knowing intuitively that it would hold an answer for me. So the next day I sat down with a pen and a paper to listen to this program and to see what I could release from my body. I was totally surprised at what I wrote down and what I set free just by doing that one session. The next day I decided to leave for work an hour earlier so I could stop at a lake and repeat the program. Again, I was amazed with what I released and how good it felt. I repeated this process every day for two more weeks. I started to feel stronger, but I recognized I needed more specific help. I read about the NARP program, which was created for people who had experienced narcissistic abuse, and I decided that to move forward, I needed to purchase it. So like many other thrivers, Kayla, who do break through, you dedicated yourself really conscientiously to NARP. So can you explain how you did this, even though you were still in the relationship with him? Well, I downloaded the program that day onto my computer and then onto my iPhone. By having it on my phone, I could listen to the modules when I was away from my house and in a place where my husband wouldn't see what I was doing. I completed the first two modules before I went to work while I was still sitting at the lake. (laughs) I loved the release I felt and I was in awe of what I was discovering about myself. However, I knew I had a lot of unraveling to do if I was to gather up my own strength. I decided to work the modules while I was driving to work and driving back home again. I had a tablet of paper sitting on the seat beside me. I would turn on the module I wanted, I would focus on the words, and I'd scribble my answers while I drove. I couldn't always read my writing afterwards, but my body knew my intentions. This allowed me to complete two or three modules every day, repeating the ones where I continued to have charges. I was still living with my husband, but I did start thinking realistically about leaving. I started implementing boundaries with him, and then I'd watch his reactions to the things I said. I was fascinated, actually, when I recognized his inability to take responsibility for anything or to be empathetic to me. It became it it became a game to me, actually, when I watched his responses and how he manipulated words. Then he engaged in another cattle confrontation with the same neighbor whose bully shot. When I confronted him about the situation, he refused to see how strongly it affected me or how it re-triggered the post-traumatic stress from the first incident. I ended up leaving because I knew I didn't want to live his lifestyle anymore. I gained enough self-confidence to leave and go stay with my daughter in town. I had the insight to box up and move all my important documents and sentimental objects to my daughter's house without him seeing me. I told him we needed to have a break away from each other for a few months. I was terrified to tell him I wasn't planning on resuming our lives together. Daily I completed modules of the program. I felt strength 
start to build and thought I could continue having communication with him as we own two businesses together, but not yet understanding the necessity for no contact. Mm, Kayla, and I think so many people definitely have fallen for that and actually believed that they can retain a friendship, that they can detach, that they can stay in contact healthily. But yeah, as you were to discover, that is that really isn't the case. So so after that, things escalated, and you were really severely tested. Can you please share about what happened next? Well, he was in the midst of narcissistic injury. The threats then started, and I was in constant fear because he was threatening to burn down our house and sell all the cattle, empty the money out of our business accounts, and take our son's logging truck away so he wouldn't have a job. He always tended to lump my son and I together. Whenever he was mad at one of us, he'd be mad at the other. And I was confused. I was so confused. Old patterns emerged in me, the ones where I believed I needed to fix things to keep me safe. I was using the modules to clear my fear, yet not realizing that every time I engaged in contact with him, I was allowing my peptide addiction to continue. My body was giving me a warning. I would go into a panic internally when the phone would ring, just in case it was him. As soon as I heard his voice, I could feel I would get scared and I'd get shaky inside. He would call me during the week, knowing which subjects would trigger me to get a reaction. One weekend, during a face-to-face meeting, I mentioned to him he should go get counseling to help him deal with his upbringing, and he exploded. He responded by throwing his TV remote, a glass, and a glass bowl across the room, breaking them against the wall. He verbally unleashed at me, yelling and screaming insults for 20 minutes. Then the Stockholm Syndrome kicked in. I remembered thinking I was indebted to him because he cared enough about me to not hit me with the things he'd thrown. Well, for Christmas then, my adult kids wanted to have a normal holiday at the ranch, so I relented and I agreed to spend a couple weeks out there and it was a horrible mistake. I felt myself slipping backwards into his trap. We'd been married for 33 years, so he knew all my triggers and what to say to control me. I fell for his antics quickly, as his hoovering was classic. He became the nicest, most considerate spouse he'd ever been, doing and saying things I'd always been begging him to do since we were first married. I was hooked back in. My brain was hoping that he'd finally change But, you know, my inner being felt anxious and uneasy. He bombarded me relentlessly with his thoughts and forced his opinions on me. My energy was quickly draining and I was slipping back into a deep depression. I became emotionally numb and I felt like a robot. I could no longer concentrate on anything. My bulimia was in full force as I was purging up to 20 times a day. My kids were mortified and each told me individually I needed help. I knew I needed to break away completely from him. Daily, I went to the Facebook Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Group to read everyone's posts. I was clinging to this group as my lifeline as I felt myself spiraling downwards. And the heavy feelings began permeating me as I felt I was living two lives that of wanting to hold on to my past dreams, and that of knowing I had to let go of that dream in order to survive. I had developed the eating disorder to help me cope with my pain. That's huge, Kayla. That you were purging 20 times a day. That is just incredible. I think um, everybody that understands narcissistic abuse and when you're in there, that is so true. You're being ripped in half. There's a part of you hanging on to the idealized dream of what you think this should have been and the other part knowing that you're being ripped to shreds and you need to leave. And when we're being ripped in half and when we're not living true to what our inner being is screaming at us, 
then we break. We break down horrifically. And then the only way to try and cope with those that breaking down is some sort of addictive or OCD behaviour to try and burn off the pain and the anxiety. So that's exactly what your purging was. And we have our own things that we would have been doing to try and cope in that nightmare. So then, Kayla, for so many of us, you had your breaking point. I completely, totally relate to that in both of my narcissistic relationships is there came a point where you know it's life or death. You know that you're not going to survive this anymore, that something has to change. So I think many people are going to relate to you know what, what you say about your breaking point if you could um, explain that. Sure. I finally hit my rock bottom one weekend... I found myself lying on the bathroom floor at the ranch. I was bawling, shaking, and screaming that I wanted to die. And I knew in an instant that I had the proof I needed, that I must leave to save my life. I left that day and I have not returned. I immediately implemented no contact with him, as I knew I couldn't allow myself to be drawn back in. I walked away from the ranch, my home, and a lifetime of possessions to save my existence. Daily, I completed two to three NARP modules, repeating them as I was untangling a lifetime of intertwined beliefs and attachments. I was in awe of how many of my behaviors were related to my childhood principles. I faced and released my unhealed parts. Melanie, I listened to every radio program you'd recorded. I found a Theta Healing practitioner who also worked energetically with me to help me recognize and release my deep-rooted beliefs. I wrote in my journal daily all my thoughts and feelings. I realized I hadn't honored my own morals, and I felt I truly sold my soul to pacify my husband. The day I finally recognized it was okay to live according to my own moral compass was the day I vowed I would never, ever let someone else rule my thoughts. For the first time in my life, I focused solely on me. Some days I could barely put one foot in front of the other, but I moved onward. I spent time walking outdoors in the snow. It was wintertime and I was looking at nature so I could appreciate the life around me. NARP truly saved my life. As each module helped unleash more of my inner torment, I craved to explore and release more. I could barely restrain my excitement as I wanted to keep moving forward. Every spare moment I had, I had a pen and a paper in my hand. I was writing and freeing myself from the negative vibrations surrounding my life. The liberation I felt is nothing short of a miracle. I realized through completing the modules, the beliefs I held on to originated from my childhood and had manifested throughout my relationship. I'd had a strong fear of being abandoned, an illusion of not being good enough, and an untrue belief that marriage must last forever. Once I real, realized this and I released these thoughts from my being, I've been able to let go of things that aren't a match for me. I talk to my children about our experiences, and my daughter sees her upbringing as a gift to becoming the compassionate, independent, educated woman she is. She herself has done a lot of inner work and has been very insightful in helping me to keep a focus on myself. My son, he hasn't yet reached that level of acceptance, but he has learned, however, to put up boundaries in regards to his dad. Interestingly, the universe recently tested me to see if I have any unhealed parts concerning my ex-husband. He was hospitalized with blood clots to his heart and lungs and had to be airlifted to a large medical center for treatment. For legal reasons, I was the one who needed to fly with him as I was the only one who could make decisions on his behalf. So I agonized over the situation as I did not want to face him. However, I knew I wouldn't forgive myself if I didn't follow through on my obligations. I was required to spend seven days at the hospital with him in a city far from home. And this was the first time I had seen him in five months. 
So I am ecstatic to report that I did not get hooked back into his ploys. I refused to look him in the eye to eliminate the possibility of getting drawn back in, and I was able to hold up my boundaries. I had compassion for his fear and his pain, yet I had no feelings of affection or attraction towards him. Totally a testimony to how far you come. Incredible. Mm-hmm. Totally. So, Kayla, your life is not recognizable from where it once was. So how long ago was it that you started doing the inner work and how long has it been since you were actually on NARP? Well, it was 12 months ago this month that I first Googled narcissism and it was about nine months ago that I started the NARP program. Um, At that point, I was definitely a lifeless, despondent woman just beginning my journey of healing. But today, I'm a vibrant, happy lady who's thankful for a second chance at life. Every day is now so exciting to me and I can't wait to get up in the mornings and the world is beautiful again. I have mended the relationship with my brother who tells me when I talk to him on the phone that he is so happy to have his sister back, the happy carefree sister that he had when he was 19. I've mended friendships as well, friends who were waiting for me to break free. I'm enthusiastic with my freedom of finally being able to be who I was meant to be. Freedom of not needing to look to the outside world for acceptance. Just realizing I only need to look to me. So Melanie, I truly have you to thank for giving me the tools I needed to dislodge from my constant pain and discover me. So like so many of the thrivers, you know, do you really feel, Kayla, that this experience that you went through has really been um, such an unexpected karmic or soul gift if you like to really break free into your true self is that how you feel it played out for you oh absolutely it absolutely did um without having that experience i i wouldn't be on this wonderful journey that i'm now on for sure Mm, changes everything it so does when we grab it and we do it So what message do you have, Kayla, for other people who may still be in their relationships with narcissists and who don't feel that they've got the strength or the courage to leave? Well, Melanie, I fully know the desperate feelings a person has while still engaging in such an illogical relationship. I know it seems impossible to think of escaping the torment. However, I have a deep conviction that people are led to your website for a reason. And I believe they are meant to find the gifts of reconnecting with themselves so they can entertain the possibility of having a healthier future. So my message is to encourage others to take the time to read and listen to everything available on your website. The material will enable them to understand the reasons behind the narcissist's crazy behaviors. They will learn ways to implement boundaries with others, and they will acquire techniques to start building their self-esteem. They will be able to start creating small changes in their current situation. Then I believe, if possible, that they need to immerse themselves in the NARC program where their deep healing can begin. With the program, they will have access to the Facebook group where all the members have undergone similar experiences and they can help new members learn to focus on themselves. The NARC program will assist each person into letting go of beliefs that have kept them tied to the narcissist. So as they release these principles, they will start to gain their own internal power. Then as they become stronger, their strength and courage will begin to build. This will help them clearly see a way to navigate towards a new tomorrow where they are finally able to direct the destiny of their own lives. That's it. And, you know, it really, really is key that when we're stuck in the emotional agonies of the past, that's what we're vibrating. That's what we're stuck in. We don't have space for anything else. And we're actually infused in that place with a a cocktail of peptide chemicals that don't actually allow us to be able to make any choices outside of that set of chemicals. 
And Joe Dispenza talks about this a lot. It's so, so true. So it's not until we can actually break that peptide addiction and start releasing those painful chemicals from our body energetically that we can actually start having the room and different chemical peptides being dispensed in our body to make choices that are aligned with these new chemicals we're producing for ourselves. So that's why we can feel so trapped, so locked in, so unable to make different choices because of the chemicals that we're creating throughout our body as a result of narcissistic abuse. And that's what NARP does. It breaks those down, releases them, and then allows you to bring in new ones. So you can become a new person. You can be able to let go of the old person and create a new person, which is absolutely what Kayla has done. Now, Kayla's going to answer any questions that people have on the blog. So thank you so much, Kayla, for signing up for doing that. Oh, thank you. I'm, it's my pleasure to. I'm so excited, actually. I, I believe others can learn and heal from what I've experienced myself. So I'm very accepting and very anxious, actually, and hopeful of, of uh, being able to write back to the others. And I think you'll do a wonderful job. I spoke to Roseanne after her blog, and she was so high on how cathartic and beautiful it was and just... You know, just in, she said that she went out in the forest and had tears of gratitude with nature. That oh, now I'm getting teary. <laughs> that she, oh, it's gorgeous. It touches my heart. You know that, and it is about that that we can give back on that level because of what we've been through. That's what this is all about. We're all in this together. We're all co-creating together. So I think that's absolutely you're going to love it, Kayla. So. People, um, the blog's going to be out tomorrow. We're working with different recording equipment that we had a glitch with. This is actually take two. Kayla's been so gorgeous. So the blog's coming out tomorrow. So it'd be lovely and ask any questions you want. You know, Kayla's an open book about her life, as we all are. The people that have really got authentic and healed, you can ask her about um, life now when you know and obviously it's not that long since she's actually left and how she feels about the future coming up and stuff she's an absolute inspiration she really is incredible it's such an honor to um, have been able to co-create with you Kayla so thank you so much for coming on the show oh you're very welcome Melanie you're gorgeous Okay, and you're all gorgeous out there and you deserve a gorgeous life. That's what this is all about. So lots of love, everybody, and bye-bye. And Kayla's going to be on the blog. And if you've got anything there for me too, you can ask. But it's nice for me to have a bit of a break. But I'll be watching the blog and it'll be lovely. So lots of love, everybody, and until next week, bye-bye.